I do not necessarily see myself as an investor, right? That's really primarily the hat that I wear these days, but I don't necessarily see myself as an investor. I see myself as an experienced creator. I live in the abstract. I live in the creative. I live in the big picture. I live in the high risk. Being really self-aware of what my strengths are and being able to articulate that to other people, whether it be people who are on my team who are making the wheels actually turn or the investor who's looking at working with me. How much do you think design plays a role with the revenues? Oh gosh, it plays. Welcome to the Patrick Real Estate Show, where we explore the fascinating world of real estate investing with your host, Patrick Switek. Patrick is a dynamic young entrepreneur and an accomplished real estate investor who's passionate about helping others achieve financial freedom. Each week, we sit down with some of the most inspiring individuals in the real estate industry and delve into their personal journeys, lessons learned, and secrets to their success. Let's dive into this week's episode. Sarah, welcome to the Patrick Real Estate Show. Sarah is a sharp short-term rental investor very involved in the industry, I guess an influencer in some ways. She's an investor and she specializes in design, but also investing in markets with little to no data. Welcome to the show, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks, Patrick. I'm excited to be here. And yes, you are right. Not all the decisions we've made have made sense out the gate, but they make sense on the back end. So... So I want to, I'm sure the audience is probably thinking, was that luck? You know, maybe she just invested and she got lucky. Maybe she invested and she's just an influencer or whatever, but we'll dive more into that. But before we get into all that, Sarah, maybe you can give a little bit of a rundown on your background and how you got into short-term rentals. Yeah, Absolutely. For those of you that are listening that may not know who I am, I'm one half of the Carwells on social media. My business partner is my longtime best friend. And we got into this in 2019, actually. I had started with Airbnb Arbitrage in Dallas, Fort Worth, and we saw a lot of success right out the gate. And so we decided to scale from one to three properties. March what were you doing before that? I was in architecture before that. So I was working for an architecture firm specializing in home goods, TJ Maxx, Starbucks, McDonald's, things like that. And so when we launched the additional three properties in 2020, we made them go live March of 2020, which we all know is when COVID hit and travel came to a screeching halt. And so those properties that I thought I was going to be making money on, I was not making any money on. And so Emily at the time had just graduated college. She couldn't find a job. My properties weren't making money. And so we decided to start designing Airbnbs for investors who were ready to push all of their money into the economy. And so we started designing for about a year and a half until we could start investing ourselves again. And when we started investing ourselves, we wanted to shift from the arbitrage model into the ownership model. And Emily and I both were born and raised in Michigan. We had both moved to Texas after college. And we just had the most resources in Michigan. So both of us ended up moving back to Michigan, leveraging our resources here and started investing in very off the beaten path B&Bs. And we started that in 2020 and so from, or sorry, 2021. And so from 2021 to now 2023, we have five purchase properties that are all in very remote locations here in Michigan. That is incredible. So you got into Airbnb. How did you even find out about short-term rentals, Airbnbs? You were doing the two or two or three in Dallas. 
what was the reason behind that or yeah. yeah so before we ever entered into the real estate space my husband was building an insurance agency and so we spent years before ever dabbling in real estate whatsoever 100% focused on that. And so I would work my nine to five and then I would help my husband on the side start building this insurance agency. And at the time it was doing really well. And so Ethan was like, Sarah, I think 2020 comes around. You can retire from your nine to five if you want to. We live on my income already. You can be done working. And my husband's Texan. So he's got a traditional sense on the family unit. And so he thought that it was like his duty to retire his wife. And in my head, me being so validated by work and loving having purpose in work, the thought of retiring or being a stay-at-home wife or whatever that life looked like sounded like a mental health death sentence for me. (laughs) At that point in time, we had a conversation between the two of us where he said, I'll make the money, you make the money grow. And so that's where we started dabbling in real estate. That's awesome. And there was no specific book that really made you think that way. It was just the not, this is what you heard from the, from people that you just become wealthy through real estate or how did that Um, We stumbled into it. We had an apartment at the time, just the two of us. And we were traveling so much that we were like, we ought to throw this on Airbnb when we travel because we can lock our stuff in the closet. We might be able to pay our travel expenses. This might work out. And so we listed it on a Thursday night. We were leaving on that Friday morning and we listed it and it was like 30 seconds later, we got a booking and we were like, wait a minute, this is, if this trend continues, this is magical. And so at that point in time, we booked, we started renting it out on the weekends. And then Ethan ended up finding this really thin, like 20 page paperback free book that someone was offering on a radio station that had to do with Airbnb. And so he ordered that book for free. I read it after we had already listed our apartment. And I was like, yeah, I think I can rinse and repeat this model. And we never looked back. That's awesome. (laughs) So cool. Let's talk about that first deal. That first deal, was this first deal fueled by no data? Yeah. Once we had that little arbitrage portfolio and COVID had passed, then the arbitrage portfolio that we had built that was, I think at the time, maybe five units total, it started producing some income. And so we had bought a Volkswagen van. We got in that Volkswagen van and we started driving all over the country just to enjoy the fact that both of us were completely remote workers and we could work from anywhere we wanted to. And so we wanted to enjoy that freedom. And while those properties were earning income and we were on the road for six months, we just stored away all of the profit from the arbitrage properties. Like we didn't spend any of it. And when we got to Michigan, there was enough in that account to justify purchasing a property instead of reinvesting it into arbitrage. And so we started house hunting a little bit. By the time I didn't know about AirDNA, I didn't know how to analyze a deal. I didn't know what a pro forma was. The only thing that I knew was that in DFW, if I designed a property well and I could see other properties around me on Airbnb were making some money they were producing income. And I just didn't know how to project what it could make. It was just really (laughs) shooting in the dark. And so we ended up touring this property. And I remember getting on Airbnb while we were at the property and just looking at what properties were around. And I was standing at the end of the dock at the lake house that we ended up purchasing. And I could see on Airbnb, the two other houses that were in the area, I could see them across the lake. So immediately I was like, okay, I can see two properties are here. I can see that their calendars are relatively full. I can see that they don't 
have any sort of decent design. They don't have hot tubs. They don't have good photos. They don't have any of these things that I have seen work in other markets with investors as we've designed. I wonder if we took that philosophy here out in the middle of nowhere where these properties that look like crap are still getting bookings, what kind of income we might be able to make. And it was a total shot in the dark. I had no idea what that property was going to make, but we purchased that property anyway. And then about a month and a half after we purchased it, I was introduced to AirDNA. So I had already purchased it, but I did get on AirDNA before we actually listed it. Cool. You purchased it. Did you have any idea if it was going to cover your mortgage? Was that a fear of yours at all? Uh, yeah, definitely was a fear. Of course, you can see the nightly rate on Airbnb and I could see how far out they were booked for the next couple of months. And so based on just like that really rough calculation of what they were making versus what we were going to be paying in a mortgage, I was like, I would have to be doing worse than what they were to cover the mortgage or to not have the mortgage covered. And so for me, I was like, if this is suggesting that quality of B&B would cover the mortgage that I'm thinking about taking on, what if I surpassed that on every single corner? And that was <laughs> that was it. That was the amount of research that we did before purchasing. So you still did research though. Like you didn't have that many comps from my understanding is you really didn't have that many other properties that were operating in that area. Um, but you did have two that you could reference that you saw and, and it kind of, it, it made you believe, okay, this can work. So those two properties, how do you compare and contrast whether those properties are going to make how much money they make like how do you use because it sounds like the enemy method so i'm just curious like what strategy you use there yeah so when we were looking at their properties i had estimated that these properties were bringing in probably about fifty thousand a year just based on what their nightly rate was and what i could see two months out which especially if you listen to john bianchi talk he's he wants to see reviews for the last 12 months consistently and and I didn't do any of that research, but a month and a half after we purchased it, we did get on AirDNA and uh, between the two properties, one property that was on the same was making 56,000 a year in annual revenue. And then the other property on the lake was making 65,000 in annual revenue. And both of the properties were larger than mine as well. Mine was gonna hold 10 and theirs was holding 12 and 16. And so they weren't apples to apples by any stretch of the imagination. We had been really involved in some of the more saturated markets and designing for them. Like we had a one client who had 10 properties in Florida that we helped design. And we had done some in the Smoky Mountains and we had done some in Dallas, Fort Worth, and we had done some in Arizona. And so we had gotten really familiar with kind of the enemy method there and understanding how to design for those clients based on where their competition was at. And so we just applied that to Michigan. But when we started investing in Michigan, we decided to full send on the design. It was like not about barely competing or like barely beating our competition on every corner. It was like, okay, what is the best of the best doing in some of these top markets and how do we apply that to Michigan and what kind of an ROI is it yeah. going to have out in the middle of nowhere? So that's the big thing, right? So for instance, I'm in Joshua Tree and for me, it feels like Joshua Tree is the NBA. I'm there. I cannot miss a day of training. I cannot go out and take a day off and not look at my pricing. I can't, I have to be on top of everything. It tests me every single day. There's always new, amazing properties hitting the market. And I have to be state of mind, state of art, becoming the best manager. Now, 
when I help students in markets like Cleveland, Ohio, or wherever, and we do small little tweaks, it makes the amount of difference that these, like just the basic principles that I'm like, this is standard. And if you don't do this, you're just not even ranked at all are like enough to make you the best of the best in that market. And I've realized that. So I guess you did a similar thing where you took the skills that you built in Texas, which is, you know, there's a lot of short-term rentals in Texas and brought it to Michigan. Now, what's really interesting, I want to know is how much do you think design plays a role with the revenues? Oh gosh. (laughs) So much. It plays such a heavy hand in your revenue. I think that there's three main things that play a role in your revenue. One being your operations on the back end, right? Your management and pricing strategy. Two being the amenities that you offer on site in in relevance to your market. And then three is design and photography. And I think that the design and the photography really do a big bulk of your marketing online. When we started working with investors, when we were Carwell Design before we were the Carwells, a lot of the investors that we were working with, they brought us in on brand new projects that they were working in. We would put these properties to life, bring these properties to life, and then those properties would be doing so much better than some of their other properties that they had designed themselves before. And so what they had us do is they would bring us back into these properties that have been running for a year, and they would give us a budget to facelift these properties. And then they started tracking the difference between the profitability that they had before and the profitability that they had after just from design, right? And predominantly this was for arbitrage properties. We didn't have the luxury of being able to add amenities, right? It's if you have a one, one or a two, one apartment, you're not going to add a hot tub or a big wall court or all of these luxury amenities that you have in purchase properties. It was just design and photography that we were bringing into these properties and it was increasing their revenue by 50%. And it was consistent across the board. They were seeing that experience in DFW. And I'm not saying design will have that large of an impact on purchase properties, because I think that is specifically on purchase properties. It's a mixture of the design and the amenities. But I do think that when you do have something that is professionally designed in comparison to something that has no effort in design at all, there is at least at minimum a 25% increase in revenue. So it's worth it. <laughs> Would you say? <laughs> yes. The designers yeah. should favor themselves. Okay. Awesome. And and as a designer yourself, are you just saying that to get more business or you you, you see it time and time again? <laughs> no, we've seen it time and time again. And we yeah. stopped offering design services completely because all of that mm-hmm. is 100% working income, right? And once you get yeah. involved in real estate, that there are ways mm-hmm. to make money that do not involve your time. Why yep. would I spend time with those things anymore? So I'm here to advocate for designers, but you will not catch me offering design services ever again. <laughs> That's awesome. There's plenty of this. I feel like there's so many designers out there in the space. It's you're going to find one. You know, Carwell's would be nice, but at the same time, Carwell design is retired. Now it's real estate Carwell's. Yeah, um, we left that hat. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about being the best in your market. And I'm, and I'm comparing to Joshua Tree because that's what I have as a reference point, right? <clears throat> but for me, it's very hard to be the top of the design in your market. I think. If anything, you have to go above and beyond and do like architecture. And it's hard to be a top 10 property. In in Michigan, you could potentially 
become the top top best property in the market and transcend whatever everybody else is making so you can look at comps and you could say how can you my question is how can you confidently look at comps and say the highest comp you see is 60,000 but you have a strong feeling you can make more how do you know what that amount is and how do you know when you're the top in your market it's hard to gauge that so how do you make that decision yeah, that's such a good question. And I've been asked this question so many times and I've had to convince investors on it now that we've started raising pro- our private capital. So when we purchased that first property, we had no idea, right? I was going to be happy if we broke even. I was so desperate to get involved in Airbnb and I was just so full of optimism and nothing had beaten me down yet that I was like, this is going to work just because I want it to work so bad. And for example, on that first property, we purchased it for $300,000. It projected somewhere between fifty-six dollars and $65,000 based on the AirDNA comps. And this year, our revenue will clear one twenty. So it's over <laughs> double what the competition is doing. Then we decided to purchase Hale Haven. And when we purchased Hale Haven, it was a slightly smaller property. The AirDNA projected 56000 on that one, not even 65000 So it projected even less. So let me ask you on that one. Let's just run through that deal because I'm curious. So you said it, pro- it projected 56000 right? If it made 56000 because I, I have a feeling it's going to make more because you're about to talk, you're about to drop a number. But let's just say it made 56000 Would you be okay with that? Yes, it would pencil at 56000 It would still pencil. It would still pencil at 56000 because it was a $319,000 purchase price. The cash on cash wasn't going to be insane by any stretch of the imagination, but we were still going to be in the green at 56000 So you were going to be in the green at 56000 You just made it a lot better and put a lot more money where it would pencil out, but you're rolling the dice and saying maybe it might make more. I think that's what it is. It's a safe bet. It's not, okay, you poured so much money where it's like it doesn't make sense at $56,000 a year. You're not going to make money at fifty six. That would be a whole different story. You're still making a calculated risk. Okay. Can- it's still definitely a calculated risk. And the house prices here are so low that if it does perform meh at 56000 it is still penciling. And market standard is everyone wants to get excited about something that conservatively pencils at a 15% cash on cash or higher, right? They don't want to get into the 10s. They definitely don't want to be the 8s. You want it to be at a 15%. And ours are not necessarily penciling at a 15% cash on cash with where the market is standing currently. But at that point in time, when I started getting more familiar with data and more familiar with AirDNA specifically, I started taking a look at other markets just in general that were not necessarily Michigan markets, but maybe they were in the North. And I would just look at like Midwest markets that were lake houses and I would see if I could find more popular markets where there were houses that were well-designed versus not well-designed or did have a hot tub versus didn't have a hot tub. And so even though they were in my market, I could see, okay, this market is off the beaten path. It's not a fly-in destination. It's not a Scottsdale of the world. But the property with good design versus not good design was making 20% more. A property with a hot tub versus not a hot tub is making $10,000 more. And so I would get this rough estimate in my head of what I thought could be worst and best case scenario for these houses if I were to go above and beyond with design and amenities. So you did look at other areas nearby 
right? Like yep. other areas, you're like, okay, people are driving to these areas and paying this much. There's, and let's say it's near a big city like Detroit. It's within two to three hours of Detroit. Same as my location. And I know people are willing to pay X amount. You're making an educated guess that potentially they would be able to pay that amount for your area as well. And so for Hailhaven, when I did their pro forma for Hailhaven, once I finally was introduced to Excel, <laughs> I'm an art school grad, <laughs> so I don't even, I'm like a baby when it comes to Excel. Most so people, people when, please don't take advice from Sarah on anything running numbers. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this whole podcast is a wash. Don't listen. Right. To her. She's never used Excel. No. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I know. When I always tell people, I'm like, if I can learn how to do it, you have no excuse. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> trust me, you should be able to grasp mm. this. Mm. But when we were projecting Hailhaven, I was looking at, and I just posted this reel the other day when I had projected it before we launched it. I was like, I think that conservatively, even though the market is saying 56, I know I'm going to do good design. I know I'm going to add a hot tub, all these things. Worst case scenario, I'm going to make 70. Best case scenario, I'm going to make 120. And he, that's a $50,000 swing, right? That's literally the entire projection <laughs> that AirDNA is producing. Dude, that's like a monkey throwing a dart at a dartboard being like, ah, maybe 50,000 gives you a lot of leg room. So be like, all right, I was right. Sarah was right. Look, it was within 50,000 of, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was leaving myself. I was trying to give myself more realistic yeah. expectations, right? Yeah, I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm going to be happy if it hits 70, but I'm going to mm -hmm. be elated if it hits 120. Yeah. Like 120 is outrageous. It's literally, it's over double what the air DNA projection is. So Sarah, can you just give us the damn number? I just want, like, I just want to know the freaking number. Look, the suspense is killing me. What is it? We launched Christmas last year. So it's been almost exactly a year since we've launched it. We're 10 months in right now, and we just cleared $90,000 with two Holy months crap. left to go. Woo! So what do you, what is the projection then? Like 110, maybe a hundred It's off season. So I don't know. It's off season. So it's it'll Christmas. probably, yeah, it'll probably hit 105 is what I would imagine year one. 105. That is almost double what was originally projected. Almost, just almost like $5,000 off or $7,000 off. That's crazy. Yep. And so then after Hailhaven, I decided I was out of money, right? I had spent 100% of my capital on the first lake house, then the second lake house. And I was just itching to use investor capital. I was like, man, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to, because at that point in time, I had worked for Super O Slabs, now Techbester, and I had seen how using other people's money was really the way to get extraordinarily wealthy at an exponentially yeah. faster pace. But I realized that kind of my back was against the wall and the fact that I needed to find investors who were going to believe in something that didn't have data to support it, right? That is the hard part. That's what I was going to say. How do you go up to an investor and say, hey, my name is Sarah. I'm an art student. I don't know how to use Excel. Please give me money and I'll make you more money. And these guys, I'm just assuming it's just like a bunch of like high tech, like just like super analytical people around like a spreadsheet. Like, you're, so you're saying the highest amount that you can make in this market is 56, but you're promising us a hundred thousand. You're crazy woman. Like you are crazy. How do you convince them? You have a track record. So that does help. Yeah. At the time, we only had the first lake house, right? Because I had just launched Hail Haven and we, yeah. we were 
raising private capital while I was finishing Hale Haven. So I had one property that had been running for nine months at that point to compare it to. So not a ton, right? I didn't have a ton of data to back any decisions. And so at that point in time, I had met Matt and Matt was just as excited by short-term rentals as I was, but he wasn't as crazy as I was when it came to the markets that he was investing in or the amount of money he was willing to spend on design. I would say he's probably a much more numbers driven investor than I am, mm-hmm. which arguably is more intelligent. Huh. <laughs> and, and so Matt was like, Sarah, I see what you're doing with this lake house. I see the, the numbers that it's producing. I see that you're onto something. And Matt was really the first person who believed in this concept enough to attach onto it to a certain mm-hmm. degree. And he was like, look, he's let's do a project together where we raise capital for it. He's, but I just don't know how we're going to convince investors to do this. That's what I'm thinking. I can convince investors in Detroit all day long, but to convince investors way out here in the middle of nowhere, that seems crazy. And so we found this property in Cadillac that just, it had oh, so many green I lights. It hits just, I toured it and I was like, man, I'm like, again, AirDNA, the best performing property in the area that again, looks like dog shit. No hot tub, no photographs, just dropping the ball in every single corner, flat rate pricing throughout the entire year. That one was making just barely over $100,000. And so I look at this property and I'm like, man, I know I can get this property to make 200,000 when it's steamrolling. Like I just, I bet you I can do it. Shut up, no way. Sarah comes in and doubles it again. So we're like talking to these investors, I'm pitching it. We're not seeing a ton of traction on it because a lot of the investors are numbers driven. And I start really leaning into my community that has been just following me for not only for the lake house that we purchased, but all of our arbitrage portfolio and all of the design work we've done for investors in the past. And I needed someone to just be validated in the amount of time that I've been in the industry more than the project itself. And so we found the trust in you versus just the property and the numbers on the property. Yep. It was, I mean, it was 1000% the trust in me, absolutely no confidence in the numbers whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I just really sold the experience. The two, the two big investors on that property that brought in $200,000 out of the 250, they were believers in experience. They were more risky investors. They had more of a focus on design. They had made risks in their own portfolios that didn't necessarily pencil. And so it made them the perfect investors for this property. And I was Mm -hmm. like, guys, I was like, I truly think that this is really a once in a lifetime thing. This property is just under a half a million dollars. And I know it pencils at a hundred thousand. Again, mind you, it still is in the green at a hundred thousand. I was like, but I think that in year one, I would be satisfied if we saw 180,000. And then in year two, if we break 200, like that'll make me super excited. What what are you doing right now with that property? I just want to know because I knew Matt and before any of this happened, me and Matt were talking about this deal before I even met you. And he was super excited about it. He was like, oh, I just got this under contract right when he got it under contract. And I was like, damn, that's a bitchin' property for 500,000. I'm like, I got to go to Michigan. I can only get a shack out here in California for that. (laughs) I was like, but, but I want to know the number. Like, what? Well, how did your summer go? I know that's high season for you guys. Yeah. So we will, at the end of this year, we will clear 180 in the first year. Oh my God. I am Wait, what now, are you guys at right now? We are at 168 oh, right now, I think. Blows um, my mind. 
I had one of the investors this week text me and he was like, Sarah, he's I was will he's I just mentally told myself that I was okay if it made a hundred thousand and I was gonna be super happy if it made a hundred thousand. Like it still was a good deal in comparison to the rest of the US. I just in my head did not think that we were ever going to see 180. He's and now I'm looking at these numbers and these payouts. He's and I have full confidence that next year it'll hit two hundred thousand. Wow. And I'm like I told you. Sarah, you know what? I'm leaving Joshua Tree. I'm coming out to Michigan. I am coming out to Michigan. Full force, baby. That is awesome. That is awesome. That's incredible. And I think more than ever, I think that should be an inspiration to the people that maybe think I'm a, not a numbers gal. I'm not as well versed in a lot of things, but maybe I'm very artistic as a person. Like I'm just like very artistic and I know I'm very confident in what I can do in design and making calculated risks still. But that is inspirational. I think that just shows like if and if Sarah can do it with not touching a spreadsheet in her life, I think like anybody should be able to accomplish it no matter what, because everyone's got their own skill set. And the cool thing I like that you said is you found an investor that was very aligned with you. I think that's a huge thing that a lot of people don't talk about actually is does your investor align with you? Now, look, if I brought in a multifamily investor, these people fight over 0.1%, right? Like to returns. And it, it's this person that's so about the data. And they come to you and they're like, it's not going to work out. You guys are misaligned. It's, it's not going to pencil out for them to be able to spend money on design. They're going to want to go as affordable as possible on design, whatever, because it, that's what pencils in at. However... You found investors that believed in that, believed that design is the fundamental of the short-term rental experience and allowed you to do what you did. And, and that is incredible. I just want to iterate. That is incredible. I Hopefully that inspires people just even thinking about it and that they're not, they don't feel like they, they, just, they can do it. And so this is like huge. Now, granted, you can't be somebody that doesn't know nothing. Everyone's got a little skill set. Like your skill set is design. And you can hire that out for sure. But that is a lot. You bring a lot to the table too. You got to admit that. It's not that you're just like somebody that doesn't know anything. You're just coming in. It's, oh, pop, 200,000. No, it's, it's a lot of work, I'm sure. Can you talk a little bit about what part of your process makes these properties so incredibly crafted and experiential? Like what about it? What do you focus on? Yeah. I think it honestly always goes back to those kind of three categories of design, amenities, and hospitality. I do not necessarily see myself as an investor, right? That's really primarily the hat that I wear these days, but I don't necessarily see myself as an investor. I see myself as an experienced creator and the vision of the cart that we're moving forward. And I tend to surround myself with people who are very operations driven because I am not, right? I live mm -hmm. in the abstract. I live in the creative. I live in the big picture. I live in the high risk, but I need to be surrounded by people like Emily, like Federico, like mm -hmm. Matt, mm -hmm. who are mm -hmm. the exact opposite of that to pull me back. But I but am they always... also need you. Exactly. And, and I think that it's just being really self-aware of what my strengths are. And being able to articulate that to other people, whether it be people who are on my team who are making the wheels actually turn or the investor who's looking at working with me. Because 
you're right. It's if I were to have an investor who was 100% numbers driven, I am going to drive them crazy because I'm going to be like, I don't know, get pencils at 100, but it might make 200. They're going to be no like, invest- what the heck? <laughs> That's such like, a range, $100,000 range. Could do $100,000 more or less, what, what I think. Yeah. And they have to be willing to be sold on the fact that I'm going to bring quality day in and day out. And if you're interested in investing in quality, invest with me. If you're not interested in investing in quality and you want to be 100% numbers driven and and let that be the driver behind your investment, we're never going to get along. And so I think it's just, it's that self-awareness that I've got and then the ability to surround my people or surround myself with people who either complement that in me or align with that as well. That is amazing. I wanted to ask, can you do the same thing that you're talking about with just any average property? Or was the orange Cadillac something that was specific because it was just so unique? What did you, what about it really drew you in and was thought, yes, this is the one that's going to make money? Yeah. So I think in all of our properties, we really try and focus on having some sort or multiple elements that are not replicatable by our competition. For us in Orange Cadillac, that looked like a giant historic home that was bright orange, right? But it wasn't a lake house like our other properties. Our other properties, it's usually a lake house that has a view or a lake house that has a screen and patio or something that our competition can't go install when they purchase it. And, and same thing with like when we bought the school bus, right? We were like, okay, we see that RVs are making money on Airbnb, but this is a school bus, right? It looks different right out the gate. It has that uniqueness factor. And so we, I just today got asked what my buy box is. And my buy box is not specific whatsoever. I'm just looking for something that makes, that's impossible for my competition to replicate that people would enjoy. That so plays. what about the orange Cadillac made it, was it because it's orange? Can't you just paint another building orange? <laughs> There were a few things with Orange Cadillac that Mm. that were green lights. One, of course, was that it was orange, right? Like a big, bright orange house is immediately curb appeal 10 out of 10. Yes. It also was commercially zoned. And so for Mm. us, that made it have a baked in blanket of security. Because it was commercially zoned, that made it legal to have 25 foot privacy fences all the way around it, whereas other residential properties cannot. So from a noise complaint perspective, it was a green light. The The pool and the driveway and the back patio, all three of those things are heated. So it was no maintenance for wintertime, right? The snow is always going to be melted on that back patio. You're nice. never going to have to shovel it. Same thing for them pulling in and out of the driveway. Won't ever have to shovel uh, it. And the house itself was listed as a 3-3, but it was 4,000 square foot. So when we purchased it, we broke it from a 3-3 into a 6-3, which obviously increased the value right away. So that was another like baked in equity play right out the gate for that property. So it had, you know, a handful of reasons why it was a big green light for an investor and for it specifically. No wonder Matt touched it. I mean, Matt wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole of, if you came up to him and said it's a 3-3, there's none of these other things in the middle of nowhere, Michigan. So <laughs> there has to be some appeal to it. That's what I'm hearing. <clears throat> I, w- I wish my business partner was a little bit more, less scared of the snow. He's very scared of the snow. So if there's going to be a deal that gets done in Michigan, it's probably going to just be me. <laughs> I don't, he's scared <laughs> of the snow. Like he's lived in LA his whole life. He's, he doesn't want to even touch Big Bear, which is like nearby. He's like, yeah, 
snow scares the shit out of me like people getting locked in and all this stuff but but i guess it works so there you go so i'm curious just to piggy off of all this first of all i want to say ethan your husband how is he taking the fact that yet again he was trying to be the man and traditional man and, and provide for his wife and his wife is making more than him so um <laughs> like how did he handle this whole thing um, and he's, I'm just curious. Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, Ethan and I have flip flopped the breadwinner rule. This will be now the third time in our relationship mm. that we have flip flopped it. And I, Emily and I are born and raised in Michigan, right? And Michigan has a little bit less traditional men, I would say, than Texans. Mm. I agree. And no, no shade to Michigan men. It just, wasn't my type. And so I went down when I was in Texas, I met Ethan. He just had that entrepreneurial spirit about him. And I always was very hyper aware that I was at risk of running my husband over. Like I'm very, I know what I want to do. Please don't tell me to not do something. Like I'm not an obedient woman whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so I really needed a husband who was going to thrive in that kind of an environment as opposed to be intimidated by it or retract from it or whatever the case may be. And so now- You need a strong man. You need a confident man. You need somebody that's like confident in themselves and being like, you know what? This doesn't belittle me just because my wife is making double what everyone else is making in the market. Like this doesn't be, I'm fine. We're a team. I think that takes up, that takes a very props to him. So. Yeah. And he's now he's trying to decide he's been in this interim phase right now where he's trying to decide whether he wants to leave insurance and sell his business and come over into real estate full time. Or if he wants to get competitive and roll up his sleeves and see if he can grow the insurance bigger than I can grow the real estate. Uh-huh. Either way, I think would be a blast, right? I don't care which way he goes. Um, but it's just, it's a lot of fun having someone who's so aligned and loving what they do, feeling passionate about what they do, um, and being good at it. So I just, I feel super lucky to have That is awesome. You guys are cute. I mean, (laughs) I met Ethan in the last retreat that we were at together when I first met you in person. So that was really cool. Like the guy, I think he has a lot of potential with the insurance business personally, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, He's, He's leading that way. So we'll see. He's leading that way. Okay. Cool. So I want to get into the last three questions for you, Sarah. We're going to wrap it up here. The These questions, there's two that I ask everybody. However, there's one that I just spurred the moment I just ask. Now, let's first question is what book would you recommend to the audience? It doesn't have to be real estate related. Beautiful. The most pivotal book that I have read this year is Buy Back Your Time by Dan Martell. That, it. it was the most practical book in the entire world. But if you are an entrepreneur who is in the process of scaling literally anything, if you're going from a solopreneur to a true entrepreneur, please read that book. It just brings so much clarity around what to outsource, how to figure out what to outsource, who to outsource it to, so on and so forth. But it completely flipped my business upside down this year. I love that. Okay. And second thing is your the special question for you. Uh, I want to put a... I love scenario questions. So I'm going to put this on you too. In this scenario, Sarah... You have the ability to work with an investor that's 100% aligned with you. As a matter of fact, he believes in you so heartily where he's, you know what? I'm willing to put 
half a mil to invest with you to get something going in Michigan. And you have this blank canvas of land. You could do whatever you want with it. New build. What would you focus on and what would you build? How would it look? What amenities would be present? Where is it located? I want to know all these little details of what you would do if you had the money. Ooh, if I had the money and I was doing new build, ooh. <laughs> if I only, and I only had a half a mil? You had up to a mil. Let's say up to a up mil. To a mil. Okay. If I were building something in Michigan and I had a mill on a piece of land, you could I would do a probably lot with a mill, by the way, in Michigan. <laughs> I feel it. <like. laughs> yeah, you could. I would likely focus on couples and I would likely build multiple tiny properties on a piece of land. We've seen, I've been eyeing that working in Ohio, in Minnesota, in Wisconsin, in Indiana, and nobody is really doing that here in Michigan. And waterfront land in Michigan is even more prevalent than all of those other places. So I feel like the little tiny communities for couples that are maybe wellness focused or have little hot tubs added on to them. We've seen it work everywhere else and we haven't seen it pop up here in Michigan. I don't know why. And so if I were to get into new build in that way, that's likely what I would focus on. Plus you would have the luxury of it focused on couples predominantly, but also having somebody be able to rent out the entire thing as their family. So I think it's dabbling in two different markets. Weddings? Maybe. Absolutely. You could definitely target weddings. I just like same thing with Orange Cadillac. I could run it as a wedding venue if I wanted to because it's commercially zoned. There's a parking mm-hmm. lot across the street, but that's obviously a lot more hands-on. And I'm yep. really about the next project, not the old ones. <laughs> Perfect. I totally get it. That is awesome. That is an awesome answer. Would you build a pickleball court? Or do you think that's something that people don't care about in Michigan? I okay, so this is my two cents of secret sauce that I haven't really said anywhere else on the amenities for Michigan specifically. I think the biggest mistake that a lot of Michigan investors are making is they realize that winter is their winter is their slow season. So they focus on summer as their high season. And so when they're adding amenities, they focus on outdoor summer specific amenities like big bonfire pits, like pickleball courts, like all these other things. Right. But in Michigan in the summer, your properties are going to be a hundred percent booked no matter what. If you have good design and you're in Michigan in the summer, it's booked. The problem is the other three seasons of the year. And mm-hmm. so when it comes to amenities, instead of spending that $20,000 on installing a pickleball court, I would suggest thinking about something that people can do in the winter to curb that seasonality. Nice. So maybe that's a, a barn that's actually a movie theater that's heated, right? Like I would think about that before I would think about the pickleball court. So I think- So anything to offset the seasonality. To curb that winter season, yeah. But so people have to vacation other days of the year, vacation to Florida. But at the same time, what if you had us go to stay with an indoor pickleball court? Right. <laughs> and and so. like, I think that people who are unfamiliar with snow assume that like people don't want to travel in snow, but Michiganders travel within the state year round, right? Like they're yeah. not like it slows down in the winter because people are not flying in and people are not driving here from Southern states, but People in Michigan still want to move around in the winter. So they're just looking for something that they can do in the winter, like use a hot tub or like a theater or some of these other winter amenities. I love that. Last question for the listeners. 
what is Sarah working on next? What's the next step? What's cracking? Give it to me. Yes, I am walking into 2024. As you very intimately know, this year, we really primarily focused on mentorship and Mm -hmm. educating our community. We didn't do any private capital raising. We only self-funded our properties, so on and so forth. And so next year, I want to continue doing the mentorship just like I did this year. And we still will run two or three rounds of that in 2024. But 2024, I really want to hone in on starting to deploy investor capital again mm-hmm. without being so intimately involved in it like I was Orange Cadillac. So right now we are in conversations with lawyers and legal teams to try and understand how to do that at scale, how to do that legally. How to do you're that trying to set up a fund. Yes. Nice. I think that next year, in a perfect case scenario, next year we'll bring 10 properties 10 remote lake houses to life. Okay. So if you want some more information, you got to hit up Sarah. Awesome. Cool. Now, how can people reach out to you if they want to ask you either any questions on this podcast or about those opportunities? Yeah. If you're listening to this and you don't follow us on social media already, we are Mm -hmm. at the Carwells, T-H-E-K-A-R-W-E-L-S. We're most prominently on Instagram and TikTok. If you ever slide into Instagram DMs or TikTok DMs, you will find me. And then if you ever email us at thecarwells@thecarwells.space, you will find Emily. So that is the <laughs> yep. easiest way to reach either one of us. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks for hopping on and sharing. And this was a bomb podcast. I... And I'm shocked. I didn't even know you could do those numbers. I got to reconsider my strategy. But yeah, thank you so much for everything and appreciate you hopping on. Thank you for having me. I had a blast. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Patrick Real Estate Show. If you found this episode helpful, please give us a follow and leave us a five-star review. Your support truly means a lot. And connect with Patrick in the show notes below. Until next time.